Well, if you have a Bible on your phone or if you're at home and you have a Bible at home, open it up. We're in 1 John. If you recall, John wrote a gospel, the Gospel of John, uh, but this is one of his letters. He's written three letters as well, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Pretty creative, huh? Uh, today we're continuing in our study, Living in the Light, and we're in 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 18 through 27. Now, last week we began looking at this battle that exists on earth. It's a cosmic battle between light and darkness, uh, between good and evil, between those who love God as their heavenly father and those who love the world and, and things in the world. Today, John takes us a little bit deeper as he divides the world into two peoples, those who are pro-Christ and those who are anti-Christ. Now, how are we to determine who is pro and who is anti? Well, there is truth to be believed. Remember, Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Do you know the truth that sets you free? 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is in the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we must know your word. Uh, and not just know it intellectually, but receive it, delight in it, treasure it. We are in the last hours. We live in the last days. Ever since Jesus rose into heaven, we are in that epoch, that era the era of the already not yet. Your kingdom has come and your people are alive in the gospel and yet this is a hard, hard place to live. And people come into our midst and then they go. Help us to make light of this cosmic battle. Help us to know the truth that sets us free. We pray, amen. A number of years ago, I had a conversation with a man who had been tending Grace Church for a while. He came about once a month or so. By all accounts, you would have thought him to be a genuine Christian. Yes, there was 
Certainly things he said or would do that would cause you to kind of scratch your head, but you would kind of just chalk it up to, well, he's just a little spiritually immature. But then one day after a worship service, he approached me and he says, I'm leaving. I cannot stay any longer. See, I'd have preached on a particular doctrine in Scripture, not a big main plane doctrine, but a Scripture doctrine nonetheless. And he says, I just don't feel God would be that way. My God would not act in such a way. It doesn't feel right. I'm leaving. As we talked, first I wanted to make sure that these weren't just Mark's words. I was, this doctrine comes from Scripture itself. But as we talked more and more, I came to have my doubts. And I started to think, is it possible that he's just really not a genuine Christian? And so in order to diagnose that, I moved from the lesser doctrine to the simple, main, plain truth, the central theological truth of the gospel. And I asked him, who is Jesus to you? I mean, literally, who is he? Why did he come? Why do you need him? What has he done for the world? And in his answer, I came to realize that Jesus is just a savior, just one of many ways to God, that it really doesn't matter what you believe, You've perhaps heard this, so long as you're what? Sincere in your convictions. And so what I came to realize is that he wasn't leaving over this lesser doctrine, but over the central truths of Christianity, that Jesus is the divine son of God, and he is mankind's only hope of eternal life. It's been a couple years since he's went out, and sadly, there have been others who have spent time here at Grace Church and who, in the end, went out. And not because they didn't like the color of the carpet or because they moved to North Carolina. They left because they rejected the central truth claims of Christ. My guess is if you've been a Christian for a while, you've been a part of a body of Christ, you've witnessed similar departures, and perhaps you've found yourself wondering what just happened. Could we have done something different? Is there any way we can draw them back? The passage we just read covers this reality. Some active participants in the local church communities in Asia Minor that John was shepherding, some of them had up and left. And it appears they didn't go quietly. And the members of the church were scratching their heads thinking, what just happened? Is something wrong? And so John writes to them. And John desires us to, to have a, a John does what, what we might call an autopsy, so to speak. And he shows us what happens. And as the autopsy unfolds, we are given a much deeper insight into this battle that wages on earth. John desires to give us a mental framework in which to process times when people leave, uh, a test, uh, a truth test. As Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. There is truth that sets you free as a genuine Christian, and you enjoy that. And so in our passage, John shows us three characteristics of those who pass the truth test. Genuine Christians stick, they stay, they stand, and they stay. They stick, they stand, and they stay. First, Christians stick, that is, they They stick together. John wants us to understand that because we are living in these last days, these last hours before Christ returns a second time, 
we are to expect opposition from those who reject Christ. And because of this, there will always be people who gather in to a local church and seem to be tracking with Christ and his gospel. But in the end, they leave. Many of you are familiar with the uh, British punk rock band, The Clash. Their 1982 album, Combat Rock, uh, put punk on uh, the mainstream radio. They had a song, perhaps you remember, Should I Stay? Or should I go? I'm not going to sing the song. But here's some lyrics, okay? Should I stay or should I go now? If I go, there will be trouble. And if I stay, it will be double. So come on and let me know. (laughs) Should I stay or should I go? In those, I got the nod from our drummer. All right, good, good. <clears throat> in those ancient churches in Asia Minor um, that, that John the Apostle was shepherding, there was a clash, so to speak, between the central truths of Christianity and these powerful false teachers. Though it was trouble for them to go, it would be double if they were to stay. Now, Please understand this, Christian churches, and I do hope, and I do believe that Grace Church is one of them. Christian churches must be a place where people can wrestle with the truth claims of Christ. A place where they're safe to ask questions, to have doubts, to, inter- to dialogue with, with believers so they can understand this hope that we have in us. But there will be times when people stop wrestling with the truth and begin fighting against it. If you recall from our sermon last week, there are two types of people in the world. Those who love this world and things in this world and those who love God as their heavenly father. Today, John shows us, again, these two types of people, but he puts them in in other categories. There are those who are pro-Christ and those who are anti-Christ. We see it in verse 18. Children. It is the last hour, and you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, what? We know it is the last hour. Now, it's true that elsewhere in his book of Revelation, John writes of the Antichrist with a capital A, the one who is to come, who will oppose Christ in his kingdom in very powerful and significant ways, but in the end will lose. But John uses the word antichrist, plural, here. And he speaks of anyone who opposes Christ, those who deny the essential truths concerning Jesus. And so John, who is shepherding these churches, wants them to see that, that these groups of people have, have left, that have left the church, really they're part of a cosmic struggle that shouldn't surprise them. And because they are not pro-Christ, but anti-Christ, they do not stick with the body of Christ. Instead, they went out. In the next verse, John says, they went out from us. Listen, listen to his argumentation here. But they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. They would have stuck. But they went out that it might become plain. It should be plain to us, my friends, that they All are not of us. You can see his pastor's heart, right? It's like he's saying, hey, it's okay. I know you're going through a lot. 
I know some harsh words were said. I know these are the very people you've been praying with and praying for. And they've departed and they said they're never coming back. And they called you intolerant. It's okay. They went out because really they were, they were not us. You wondered if they were really genuine Christians or not. Well, now you know. And it won't be the last time either. We're in the last hour, in the last days. And there are many antichrists in the world. But now, did you notice John changes a bit here? John points out to them the grace that, that the, that of God that they had received in these churches and that we have as well. John uses the word anointed. In the Old Testament, God anointed prophets, priests, and kings with oil, and he set them apart, and he vested them with power and authority to represent him. In the New Testament, listen, all of God's people have received an anointing from God. Look at verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. You've all been anointed. You all now have knowledge. That's the result of this work of God's anointed. The result of God's anointing of us isn't warm, fuzzy feelings. Sometimes we can feel uh, the, the worst of things. We can feel like things aren't going well. But it's another thing to know the truth. So what we see here is that, 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 that John is writing. He's saying, you all, every single one of you, has knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of the truth that sets you free. It's not an anointing with oil. It's an anointing with the, the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus promised to send the Spirit uh, and the Comforter, the Helper. And what did he call him? The Spirit of truth. Not warm, fuzzy feelings. We're often looking for a spiritual feeling. Often we need to rest on the spiritual truths first. Anointing is a gift where God, of God whereby he places the Holy Spirit in all of his children there are not some children, some Christians who have the Spirit and some who don't. Yes, Christians can grieve the Holy Spirit and live in such a way that the Holy Spirit is constantly on the defense, not on the offense. But every Christian enjoys the indwelling of God inside. So Christian, understand this. God abides in you. And because he abides in you, there is this anointing. And, and every Christian knows, therefore, the truth. Understand this as well. This anointing is not a reward for you having come to believe. The anointing is the cause of your believing. We don't believe and then receive the Spirit. We receive the anointing of the Spirit. And then we believe because the Spirit of God is alive in us. And finally, we come alive to Christ in his kingdom. John wants these churches to feel blessed in their anointing. We should feel blessed as well. John wants us to understand that the reason the Antichrist went out is they did not have the anointing. They lack the grace. They have not the Holy Spirit of truth. So naturally, they believe lies concerning Jesus. Does this make sense? Know this as an aside. I was once antichrist. I was once one who, who denied all these central truths. Thankfully, God sent his spirit to me and gave me life so that I could see 
my falsehood and I could confess Christ. Christian, if you are sticking to the body of Christ and not leaving over the essential truth of Scripture, then it's because God in his grace has anointed you. And if we are honest, we do not deserve it. And yet there it is. God's gift of the Spirit so that we all have knowledge. Listen, not knowledge of all things, but knowledge of the essential truths that set us free in Christ. This should lead us to worship. Father, how gracious you are towards us. You have given us your spirit so that we may know the truth that sets us free, and that we might stick with the body of Christ through thick and thin in this last hour. So John helps us to see that Christians stick together in the body of Christ. Next, we see that Christians stand. That is, they stand for the essential truth. Understand this. There is essential truth concerning Christ that if you deny it, then you are living a lie and you do not genuinely know God. Now, most in America have bought into what is called relativism. Relativism influences us to think that each person's truth claim is equally valid. Tim Keller, uh, speaking on this, says, when somebody says, ah, it doesn't really matter what you believe so long as you're a good person and compassionate and that you care for people who are weak and needy, as soon as somebody says that, you're in a non sequitur. You say it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are good to people? But how do you define good unless you have a belief? What makes you say that it's good to care for the needy and the weak? Why shouldn't I just trample them under my feet? Well, that would be wrong, you say. It would be wrong? That's a belief. It's so silly to say it doesn't matter what you believe so long as you're good. See, you can't be good unless you have a belief. To say, ah, belief isn't important. It's how you live is simply, simply a lack of reflectiveness. And John is saying here that there is an irreducible core belief that you have to believe to be a Christian, that true truth exists. There is truth concerning Christ upon which we make our stand. John wants his churches to see that the main difference, the main reason uh, for those who... That they, who went out, that they, that they left because they denied this important central truth, the most important truth that one could ever even begin to consider, that Jesus is the divine Son of God and God's only Savior, the Messiah. We see this in verses 22 and 23. He says, Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Now, notice that, that when John writes about those who went out, he does not refer to them as misinformed. He calls them what? He calls them liars. Why liars? Because they had heard the truth that sets you free, and they said, no, that's not the way it is. We know how God operates, and you Christians don't. And so then what is the essence of the truth that sets you free that one must confess? 
Well, verse 22, the liar is he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Now, just a little bit later in the same letter, John elaborates. He says, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So, to deny that Jesus is the Christ and that he came in the flesh is to deny the very truth, the only truth that can save you. Christ is Jesus' title, not his last name. Our English word Christ comes from the Greek word Christos, which is a translation of the Hebrew word for Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. Well, there you go. We have a theme here. Christ is the anointed with the capital A. We are his anointed with the small a. He is the Christ. We are little Christ Christians. The Christ was prophesied of in the Old Testament. He was the one to come who would redeem God's people once and for all, and he would live in their place and die in their place and rise again on the third day. It's all there in the Old Testament. And the Christ is the very divine Son of God. He's not an ordinary human being like these antichrists were insisting. He was just a good man, a teacher. No. And he died on the cross for the sins of God's people. The antichrist denied that they were sinners, that they needed saving. The problem was always somebody else. Or that they could work their way up, some sort of knowledge in which they could save themselves. And we see that Jesus rose from the dead in a physical body thus proving the physical heaven and earth to come was true for all who believe. But the Antichrist, they denied a bodily, physical afterlife. So this is the essential truth that sets you free. Jesus is the Christ. He's the divine Son of God who came in the flesh to save those who believe from their sins. But those people who went out from the churches in a fury they denied the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And sadly, their denial came to tragic consequences because in denying the Son, they lost the Father and all the joys of heaven. It's black and white in verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. It can't be more plain than that, right? Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So these false teachers who went out, they denied the Son. And so you know what that means. It means they don't have the Father. All of their clever arguments arrive at nothing. But Christian, you confess the Son, and you have not just the Son, you have the Father too. That is the truth that sets you free from your dark, sin-stained past and brings you into the kingdom of Christ in his glorious light, where we now are able to walk in this truth with great freedom in God's mercy and grace and victory and joy. So Christian, there is an essential truth that we stand upon and we take stands upon and we do not back down. Now for application, I want us to consider how quickly we Christians, we can focus on the lesser doctrines. Important doctrines like baptism and predestination and end time views and charismatic gifts and what happens? We can separate ourselves into camps, and we can look down on and criticize each other. If you've been a Christian for a while, you kind of know what I'm getting at. 
I think John's words help us to recognize that we must be very careful not to let doctrine divide us. Pentecostals and Presbyterians have far more in common than they have differences. We all confess the Son, and we all have the Father. So John shows us that genuine Christians stick together as the body of Christ, and we stand on the truth, the truth of Christ. Lastly, John says, Christians stay. They stay in Christ. Stay where you are. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. How many times have you heard those words in some action-adventure movie? The hero tells the people he's rescuing to stay put, hide, don't leave, don't vanish, don't go anywhere, remain here and I will be back for you. Now, when the rescuer says that, what typically happens? <laughs> 10 out of 10 times, what comes next? Yep, the hero goes off to find the escape vehicle and the people begin to wonder, is he ever coming back? And they begin to freak out and then they flee. And then the hero returns with the escape vehicle, and now he has to go track them down. It's so predictable, but it makes for exciting screenplays. John helps us to avoid the drama of a predictable screenplay. It's like he's saying, churches, you have everything you need. God has given you everything. Stay where you are. And he doesn't use the word stay. He uses a much stronger word. He uses the word abide. You know, in these four verses, these, uh, these final four verses, five times John uses the word abide. The Greek word is meno. It carries, uh, a very, it carries the meaning of staying in place, of remaining, of persevering, of enduring. Now, where do you think John got such a word? From Jesus, right? There's that famous passage in John's gospel, in John chapter 15, where Jesus gives this vivid image of the life his followers will have after he ascends into, into heaven. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And then he shows them, he tells them that as the branch abides in the vine and bears much fruit, so too you are to abide in me, and we together will bear much fruit. And so we read in verse 24, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. What you heard is what? It's the simple gospel message. It's the truth upon which we stand that sticks us together. The Antichrist that went out wanted to change the message. Listen, they, they were leaving, and they, but they would have preferred to have stayed and changed the message. John is saying, don't change the message. Let the message change you. He's saying, abide in the word, the simple word of the gospel. And when you abide, it results in an abiding with the Son and the Father. Verse 24, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, this hope, this truth that we latch on to, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. This truth upon which Christian stands, it truly brings us into fellowship with God. We come to know the happy trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And not just intellectually, but relationally. When we're suffering or in pain or in sorrow or distress, we call out to our Heavenly Father. Jesus intercedes for us. The Spirit of God dwells in us. 
we genuinely know the Trinity. Jesus brings us into this reality. And because we belong to the Trinity, we are partakers in all of God's promises. That's what John points out in verse 25. If your Bibles are open or you're looking at it, verse, verse 25, it kind of seems out of place. But when properly grasped, it satisfies the souls. Here's verse 25. Out of all this talk of abiding, then all of a sudden he says, and this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. I'm stopping. I need to put this in here. This is the promise he's given us, eternal life. Now, who is the he who made the promise? It's Jesus, of course. Jesus repeatedly, constantly promised eternal life who all who draw near to him in faith and abide in him. The problem with humanity, though, is what? Though we hear the promise of eternal life, we tend to what? Roll our eyes. At best, it seems like a white elephant gift that you're stuck with. You know, the one that everyone's laughing about when really you wanted a $50 Starbucks card that Gary got. Eternal life, yo. We would much rather read a magazine article titled The 10 Best Places on Earth to Live Before You Die. That sounds interesting. We would rather read that article than to tune our hearts to the eternal promises of God. But God truly promises us something far greater. God's promise, his plan for us is spectacular and it's glorious. A new heaven and a new earth will come down from heaven to earth. This earth itself will be remade. All that you love about it will remain. All that is broken and sorrowful will be gone. All that is painful and shameful will be wiped away forever. How can that not be appealing? And the beauty of God's creation will delight us without end. And we will all flourish in so many ways, including wonderful relationships that will not end. And we will see God and we will enjoy God and his creation without end and without ever getting boring. You will be set free from the sinfulness of this world. You will be set free from the frailties of your mortal bodies, which I'm feeling more and more these last few weeks, how frail my body is. I finally confessed to my wife this week, I think I need to slow down. I'm breaking up my body. But there's a body for Mark Middlecoff, and there's a body for you if you trust in Christ. And it's a beautiful body. So John paused in his charge to abide in order to give us the reminder of this promise of Jesus. See, John is a great pastor. He's better than me. He knows that it is so easy in these last days to take our eyes off the prize that awaits. This prize that allows us to stay in Christ and not venture elsewhere after some lesser glory. So often we just need reminding of all that God has promised us. So he writes, and this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Christian, there is eternal life for all who stick and stand and stay. Christian, rejoice. You are on the path to the promise. Don't forget it. And so, Christian, let me ask you, are you abiding 
in that which you've heard from the beginning? Or are you thinking there's just got to be something more? There isn't. Christ is all you need. Abide in him. Remain in him. As we wrap up, I think it's good for me to finish with a story that John tells us in his gospel. It's in John chapter 6. If you want to read the full story, I'm just going to give you a little summary. See, understand this. This, this, what we just read, this letter to these churches in Asia Minor, that probably the letter was written probably 80 AD or so. This, this wasn't the first time people who had been gathered into Jesus went out. In John chapter 6, listen, Jesus had just miraculously fed 5,000 people. And they're sitting there on the hillside listening to him teach. And he's not teaching them frilly stuff. He's teaching them eternal life things. And they're listening as Jesus teaches on the essential truths of having a relationship with him. He just fed them physical bread. And then now he says, I'm the bread that comes down from heaven. If you feed on me, you will have eternal life. He fed them that spiritual truth and they choked on it. The religious leaders who should have been the first to receive Jesus, they would not swallow those words. He said he was the bread of life that came down from heaven in the flesh. Jesus said that all who feed on him will have eternal life. If you read the account, you will see that people got off that hillside and they started walking away. They balked at what Jesus was saying. It was hard for them to accept. And so by the hundreds, no, by the thousands, they went out and never came back. But then Jesus, as he always did, he took his disciples aside and says, this is a teachable moment. And as those disciples were scratching their head, they were thinking, we had a great thing going here. Look at all these people that we had. Now they're gone. What happened? Did we do something wrong? Did you say something wrong, Jesus? And so here is what we read. After this, many of his disciples, those are the disciples on the fringe, turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the what? The words of eternal life. And we have believed and we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. When Peter said that, John was there nodding his head in agreement. This was the first time that those who had gathered into Jesus Gathered in close, it was the first time they were offended by Jesus' truth claims, and they, they went out, but it would not be the last. It was from this turning point in Jesus' ministry that John learned the valuable lesson that we've learned this morning, too. Those who genuinely trust in Christ, well, they stick together, and they stand for the truth, and they stay. Father, we thank you that uh, we thank you that we believe these things, not because we're 
like clever people. We're not the sharpest pencils in the drawer. But we have an anointing from you that allows us to process truth and believe and receive. And so we praise you for that. We thank you that we are, we're not alone. We have each other. We stick together. We stand together. And we stay together. Amen.